Welcome to another Blue Jay Beat Wrap-Up Show featuring WhiteAndBlueReview.com's Matt DeMoranis. Good evening, uh, everyone. Coming to you from the bowels of the CenturyLink Center um, on this Saturday night. Saturday night now, yeah. Uh, after Creighton's 75-65 win over in-state rival Nebraska. Um... The whole Blue State deal is still alive and well. Seven years running now. So was their seventh straight win? Yep. Um, sitting here with Johnny Atawa, as always, from the Omaha World Herald. I'm Matt Emerius from White and Blue Review. And I think first thoughts were probably I didn't expect this type of game. I, I certainly thought Creighton was a better basketball team um, that did play out in the end, but I thought I mean, I thought going in 85-69, I thought Creighton would kind of hit one of those um, traditional knockout punches earlier in the game and, you know, kind of just keep Nebraska at arm's length for most of the way um, down the stretch. Uh, That didn't happen. Nebraska um, came out really strong. I thought defensively their length uh, was really bothering Creighton, not necessarily just – you know, with the shot taking and the shot making and things like that, but passes weren't passing lanes weren't 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 easy to get. You know, the balls through, and even when they did get through, you know, they weren't necessarily the cleanest. They weren't always in the shooting pocket, so guys would kind of have to reset, and it would allow the defense to recover and things like that. Uh, Nebraska obviously started out shooting the ball really well. Um, I think they had five of their first nine threes or five of their first eight before cooling off. Um, but yeah, Creighton eventually got over the hump in the second half. Uh, Mitch Ballack hit a couple big shots. Davion Mintz hit a big shot. Uh, Marcus Foster was great down the stretch, um, being the closer that he kind of, I guess, should be at this point. It's not, I guess, not fair to put that kind of um, pressure on a performance like that. Say so he should be doing that, but he did do that. That's what his his role is. He understands that, and he was great down the stretch to to close out the win. Um, that's essentially the the nuts and bolts of it right there, John. I guess what's your takeaway on how the things went down this afternoon at the Central Link Center. Man, it was just fantastic. It was so much fun to watch. Um, these two teams go at it, and the fans react. I mean, Nebraska's fans were loud today. Yeah. Uh, it probably felt like they had to be loud, given that they were outnumbered, but they were loud, and especially in that first half, the way that Nebraska started out, like you mentioned, Nebraska's length, and I told you this Tuesday, mm-hmm. I wor- I was worried about that for Creighton, their ath- Nebraska's athleticism and its ability to kind of uh, either extend its defense or at least clog the lane, clog the driving lanes. Um, they're aggressive, and um, I thought it bothered Creighton, especially early. And the other thing that I think bothered Creighton too was that Nebraska had control of the the, the tempo. Yep. And I'm not sure how much the the Jays talked about before the game or leading up into the game. Like, hey, it's important that our pace is set in a certain way. Like, we got to control the tempo of this game. I'm not sure how much of the game plan that was, but it sure seemed like they were going overboard, uh, maybe an overdrive. Forcing to, the tempo? Yeah, to, to try, try to get, get the tempo mm-hmm. back uh, the way that they prefer it. Um which, I, in my opinion, led to those 10 turnovers in the first half and maybe some ill-advised shots at times. But credit Nebraska for that, honestly. I, yeah. thought, I thought Nebraska had a good game plan, and those guys, it required those guys uh, to be mentally tough, you know, to sort of 
maintain their courage and discipline even when it looked like Creighton was going to make runs, which happened several times in the first half where the crowd got to it, went to its feet, and maybe Creighton had a three-pointer to go ahead or tie the game and didn't go down, and Nebraska immediately responded with a bucket. Um, but, yeah, so it required some mental toughness, and it also just required, required like an edge and a little bit of a fire and some energy that Nebraska brought in the first half and ma- maintained it really throughout the game. So, um, it feels I, like it's one of those games where Creighton might have won just because of the home crowd, just because of the energy they were able to feed off of. They were able to I, feed I off wouldn't, it, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if this had gone the other way in Lincoln. Um, it felt like it was that type of a game where, you know, just the little energy from the home crowd might have pushed the team over the edge. Because um, it felt like two evenly matched, or at least evenly strategized groups out there. Both teams were kind of, you know, Nebraska was really imposing their will on Creighton for a long stretch of that game. Um, and it didn't feel like Creighton was comfortable mm-hmm. at any point tonight. Even when, and, it, and it's good that they got the win out of that because it didn't feel like they were comfortable at all. And that was kind of a question mark. Like, yeah, it's nice to score 111. <laughs> it's nice to average 100 points at home, but that's not, you know, sustainable. So can you win a grinder? Right. The thing that actually surprised me a little bit, because uh, Nebraska clearly, you know, they dropped five guys back mm-hmm. defensively. They they wanted to do all they could to take away uh, Creighton's uh, tempo or preferred tempo. I, I think what surprised me is that Creighton, like, just eventually just was like, okay, we'll play this style. Yeah. You know, they started walking the ball up. They held the ball at the top of the key while they made a play call or looked to Mac to make a play call to run a set. Um Maybe that was as a, maybe that was a result of just sort of like because when they were trying to push it in the first half, they it led to some mistakes. But that surprised me a little bit just to see Creighton willingly accept, okay, this isn't going to be at at the pace that we want to play it, but mm-hmm. let's grind it out. And they did it. I mean, they found a way to make the plays in the end. Um, those final six possessions when it, after the game was a one, it was a one point <coughs> game with four minutes left, and Creighton scored on every possession after that yeah their final nine possessions scored 20 points in that stretch right so that's how you put a game away and that's how you put a game away in a grinded out fashion because Mm -hmm. these these types of games the game against Baylor comes to mind in particular where um, it's kind of back and forth and and you know possessions are valued and you're sort of leaning on your leadership and your experience and your guys's ability to make clutch shots a lot of times those games got come down to whoever is able to i don't i mean it kind of sounds like coach coach speak but execute in the end I mean, can yeah. you run your plays but it's, it's simple, and make it's a play that way yeah, yeah. It's, it's sometimes what it takes i mean i think that you know the shot of the game is easily marcus foster's dagger with the against the 131 the only time nebraska showed it all night um and tim miles mentioned in the post game that it was like look Creighton scored on four straight possessions. We it was actually five. They had yeah, scored on exactly. five straight possessions. Um, but they were they were play. desperate for a stop. So yeah. switch a defense up, give them a look, give them a new look. All of a sudden, and maybe that you know throws a hiccup into the things, and um, Nebraska gets the stop they wanted in a one possession game. Now, yeah, because I mean, let's let's map it out. I mean, for Marcus Foster, that feels like a good shot. Yes. I mean, a, a step in three pointer, even though it was three three feet behind the three point line right. or whatever it was. A deep three, yes, but he's shown his ability to hit that. And if he's going to take an in-rhythm jumper, I mean, if if you want, if there's a guy who's going to take an in-rhythm jumper at the end of the game, you want it to be Marcus Foster. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, created, Creighton executed well enough and got, this, got a good enough shot against that zone. But then again, it's still a three-pointer. And, you know, what are we talking about, 
If it go if it doesn't go down, Nebraska has the ball with forty five seconds left, down three. Right. And uh, maybe the game goes into a different. You know, maybe it, it unfolds differently. So, yeah, it's funny how it can come down to that sort of moment. Obviously, that you don't live or die on that play because there's forty other minutes that have been played. You know, like it's when you're recapping and looking back on the game, it doesn't all amount to or come down to that, but. Mm-hmm. Certainly, it was a pivotal moment, and, and Marcus Foster, like you said, he's the go-to guy. They need him to step up, and he's a sen- senior. Yeah, he should he should step up in that moment. So um, it was good for Creighton that he did. I think two individual performances we can highlight for Nebraska, one good, one bad. Um, you want to start with the good or the bad first? Let's go with the good. Okay, let's go with the good. Isaac Copeland, 20 points, 11 boards. Now, his acquisition, I know, had a lot of Nebraska fans excited. Um, Creighton fans, I understand, were kind of just shrugging their shoulders at that because Copeland, while he is a talented player, um, during his career at Georgetown did not have the best games against Creighton. So it wasn't really one of those things where it left people around here shaking. Going, yeah, oh, I think no. he had 19 points in five games against yeah, Creighton. Yeah, so. exactly. So, I mean, he already exceeded that. So, yeah, he was 8 right. of 19 from the floor. Um, I think he cooled off late for sure, but he was definitely a big reason for why Nebraska was able to control that game. Um, obviously, Creighton came in trying to pack the paint and make Palmer and Copeland and those guys beat him with jump shots. And Copeland was up to the task at first. He had a couple jump shots, but he was also able to get um, some, you know, in rhythm, high percentage looks, Creighton off the dribble. Um, I think he was, you know, no matter if it was Toby Hegner or uh, Ronnie Harrell on him, he was able to get some pretty good looks. And um, he was a big part of the reason that Nebraska was able to control that game, I felt. Well, especially in the first half, too. I think there was a stretch where Nebraska, if you took, he had like three buckets um, over, I mean, I don't know, maybe a five or six minute stretch where Nebraska had nothing else Mm-mm. except for that. And, and it kind of uh, kept Creighton at bay because at that time it felt, I think that might have been the stretch where Mitch Ballack blocked a shot and the place went crazy. Like he went down and blocked Glenn Watson one on one. Boy, did he ever. Yeah. <laughs> was a monster block but the place went crazy and then it came down I think Tyshawn Alexander had a three to tie missed it you know it was like on the verge of erupting I think Toby Hagner had a chance to at a three at one point Mm -hmm. uh wide open look didn't hit it uh maybe that would have put Creighton up one or something story of the night by the way for Creighton there was a lot of missed three-pointers yeah definitely John is literally going through the playoff player missed a lot of threes but you know you could feel that uh the game was teetering a little bit and maybe Creighton was about to just kind of grab hold of the momentum mm-hmm. but Copeland was there man he was there uh midway through the first half for, for Nebraska and uh that's a big reason why they were able to go into halftime with the lead I mean if he's like that, he also got a ton of offensive boards how many finished with um like, he had they gave him five so yeah five offensive boards yeah he was actually they only had four second chance man they should have had they missed it, a lot of shots. Honestly, I'm going through what do you the make stats, of this? Like, I don't. What do you make? What do you make of it? I want. I want to rewatch the game, but I heard a lot of uh, a lot of Nebraska fans uh, complaining about the officiating, mm-hmm. and you know, there were moments. Obviously, Glenn Watson's fifth foul, um, maybe some other questionable calls that we can talk about and debate all night. But I think Nebraska. It's M.O. offensively is to drive in and attack, and James Palmer had a couple really strong takes to the rim um, that I'm sure Nebraska fans were, were looking or hoping for an and-one call or at least a foul call. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a couple of those strong takes late. But I don't know. It, it just seems like the two teams, the way they play defense, it's it's kind of – they're kind of polar opposites. Right. Nebraska's very aggressive. Um, they reach at times. They will. They'll collapse inside and reach. Um, they – 
they they'll get blocks, they'll get steals. Whereas Creighton is, they don't want any of that. They're literally just trying to stay in front and wall up, and put put both hands up. And especially they were today, they were packing the paint, so they were right. Letting Nebraska have anything from eighteen feet and beyond, whatever they wanted there, um, with the exception of Watson. Uh, it's, it's so it's, it just, it's, I, I haven't I wasn't really because, paying attention to the timeline, but it felt right. like it didn't feel like a game where one team was getting hosed. I mean, I, I was well, the reason the why yeah the reason why people bring it up is because the free throw disparity, and then when you like look at um, Nebraska, what is it? Uh, Got to do quick math. Eighteen of. 40... Yeah, 18 of 40, 40 through 40... 40 set, 45. 45. Yeah, they were 40% from two. Like, that's that's not good. No, it's horrible. So... <laughs> Creighton was 24 you, of 37. Your thought is, is like, so. well, did they... I mean, they obviously got bothered on some of those shots. Did they get fouled? Like, how do you go 18 of 45? There, there has to be something there. So, I just wanted to bring it up. I wanted to address it. But, yeah. like, I don't... When I was watching it, I didn't get a sense that... Um, it was really tilted one way or the other. I do think that some of the close, more controversial, debatable calls went Creighton's way, mm-hmm. um, and against Nebraska, especially down down the stretch. Well, there's but, one that was specific to a big swing in the game. I mean, early, I guess I should say, uh, when Nebraska was putting together a really big run, uh, Jordy Shimanga, uh there was a block charge call on Toby Heckner. The original call was a block on Toby Hegner, um, and Schmanga hit the layup to go up 13-7 at the media timeout. So he's coming back out of that. Nebraska's up six. He's at the free throw line, and Toby Hegner has potentially two fouls. Uh, the officials got together, and, I, I mean, from my angle, it looked like Toby was outside the circle, but they never reviewed it, so right. I don't know how they came to a conclusion that that's what happened. Um, I would like to see him review it to make sure that it's okay, but it seemed like two of the officials were like, yeah, he was outside the circle. Um, that's a charge, basically. The only thing that, that was the difference in whether it was or wasn't was where Toby's positioning was. Right. Um, so that goes, it gets reversed during the timeout. The points come off the board. Shamanga gets the second foul, goes to the bench. Toby gets the one foul, stays in the game. Like that kind of swung things a little bit um, just because you're taking a guy off the floor for Nebraska instead of Creighton and you're taking points off the board for them, literally. Uh, I mean, just so it, that's it, that's one that generally is, speaking, I guess, kind of going back to what we were saying, like the officiating, the way they called it favored Creighton because of its style of play, right. uh, the way it plays defense, and the way that Nebraska would prefer to play defense. We I mentioned mean, you mentioned that the other day coming when you when we broke down, we didn't break it down publicly. We were talking about the Nebraska Minnesota game, and you mentioned that Nebraska was able to really muck that thing up from an officiating standpoint. They were able to do some things. From a physicality standpoint, yeah, that worked in their favor. Today, that didn't seem like the case from they the jump. It seemed like that—that that was the tone that was set from that, the start. That, like, yeah, that was at least the tone that was set. That Nebraska, you're not going to be able um, to play to your full capability defensively. Which you know, I kind of wish that they'd let them play a little mm-hmm. bit more. Um, but it's their game. They got the whistles, so you. And just it's have not to like adjust. it was. Yeah, it didn't come as a surprise. It was that way. The whole the officiating was consistent. Yeah, and I got and when I, I tweeted it, I, I got a little bit of pushback from some fans who said. You know, this is college basketball. That's how it's been officiated for the last like three or four years since they've I mean, gone they, to the new they rules. Had Twenty total fouls. That's not an, that's not an egregious number. I mean, Creighton only had eleven. That's right. the nine is the the big disparity. The disparity well, is the debate. Yeah, the it's disparity. not like, but it's not like every time Nebraska touched Creighton, it was a foul. Like they were allowed to be. Yeah, both teams were allowed to be get away with some physicality. Um, I think it was just all about positioning. If you were there. 
you were allowed to, you know, be physical. But yeah. if you were late and you're, like, I think Ronnie beat Roby to the lane on a drive, and Roby, you know, used the forearm to kind of knock him off balance or knock him off his route, and that was a foul. But Roby was late there. You know, you can see that, like, that's a, yeah, it's not a, a, a huge, like, Roby's not shoving him. It's not a lot of contact. But you're late, so you that's on you. You know right. what I mean? They're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt if you're late and you're trying to knock And I think that's – I'm guessing that's what the refs called on Glenn Watson for his fourth because he um, – it was when Marcus Foster posted him up, posted him up with about four minutes right. left. Right, and right, and right. it yep. looked like he bumped him with the body, mm-hmm. but I couldn't, I couldn't really tell. Yeah, there was a lot of action going on in front of me too. I couldn't see it. Um, but anyway, um, officiating aside, I, I know we just spent like five minutes talking about it. It <laughs> right. had an impact on the game. I'm not sure it – was the it made the ultimate difference though? I think the ultimate difference was made by Creighton's ability to execute down the stretch. I but. mean, the ultimate difference was, to me, and I do I do agree that the officiating had an effect on the game. I'm not going to say it didn't, but I've also been on the other side of it where it's like, you know, how did it affect Creighton a loss? Um, but I mean, when you look at Nebraska's start, and I know we promised to go talk about. Then Watson here in a second, but uh, through the first 14 minutes and 21 seconds of the game, Nebraska was 12 of 25 from the floor and 5 of 9 from 3. So obviously those are above their season averages in both categories. And they were up 29-22. That was their largest lead of the game, I believe, right? Yeah, up 7. Okay. Or no, they were well, up 8. Were they up 8 at one point? All right. Okay. Well, they were up 7 with 539 left in the first half. And it felt like that's, you know... They had all the momentum at that point. It felt like maybe they could even put together a bigger run here and stretch it out even further. It felt like that's what was starting to happen because Creighton was really struggling. After that, from the, for the final 25-plus minutes, Nebraska was 15 of 46 from the floor and 4 of 17 from three. So that's 33%, 24%. I mean, that's just they, they just stopped hitting shots. And when you're playing the way you're playing on the other end of the floor, when you're, when you're knocking off, it's a rebound. Yeah. Because you don't want Creighton to run on you. Um, but you're also getting stops. You got to hit some shots to keep the lead. Like otherwise, you're just in a muddy game, and you're holding on for dear life, which is essentially what Creighton was doing against Baylor. Creighton was getting stops, but they weren't hitting shots. And they were just kind of like holding on for dear life from all the early work they did. And it, you know, the same same case with the story there. They just they they didn't hit enough shots to win the game. That's the same thing with Nebraska. They felt like they played well enough to win, but they just didn't hit enough shots. Like that's the bottom line. So, yeah, I mean, they did. They did a lot of the things that they probably set out to do in terms of control <coughs> tempo, limiting, I mean, was, limiting was, Creighton. Uh, how many plays did Creighton have? What possessions? Yeah, I think 71. 71 possessions. Uh, limiting Creighton's uh, three point shooting potential. Now, Creighton just miss, flat out missed some wide open looks, but mm-hmm. I mean, there were also really good contested looks. 5 of 21 from three. Uh, Creighton was. Man, Nebraska shot. 13 more field goals. Yeah. Made four more three-pointers. Five fewer turnovers. Five fewer turnovers. They scored two points off of Creighton's 14 turnovers. Yeah, that's a little bit of an I understand you didn't want to run, but, like, coming into the game, I felt like Nebraska had to be advantageous. I know they don't want to push the pace and get into a trapping with Creighton. I understood that part. But I felt like with Glenn Watson and the strengths that he has as a point guard – you still got to be advantageous when Creighton gives you an opportunity to run. Run. Yeah. You know what I mean. You've got to you've got to create offense because shot making is not Nebraska's is not that's not consistent for Nebraska. So you can't just expect to get 
you know, good action, good looks in five on five, you've got to create your advantages. And when Creighton hands the ball to you 14 times in the first however many minutes because they didn't turn it over the final 13, and you only scored two points off of those turnovers. Now, I know that they weren't all live ball, but you only you had five extra possessions and you only turned them into two points. That's That's got to be better. Right. You know, that's that's got to be how Nebraska should have won that game. And they yeah. didn't do it. So, I mean, that's just – that's not that, that's them not taking advantage of what they were doing on defensive end. Like, that's all their hard work was for not almost. Um, Glenn Watson, though, uh, another factor – a big factor in this game. Because when you talk about Copeland having 20 and 11, that's probably a recipe for a win for Nebraska if Glenn Watson is average. Right? Mm. Yeah. So – we know about Kyrie Thomas, and obviously, he, Glenn Watson had a tough deal today going up against him. With his, he's six foot three, but his length is obviously a big problem. Um, but an underrated part of that, and because we can give Kyrie a lot of credit defensively throughout the rest of the year, I thought Ronnie Harrell was really good on Watson today because there were a lot of times where it was a straight switch. Like Kyrie wouldn't even try to get over. It was like, look, he's yours now. And then Ronnie Harrell is facing Glenn Watson top of the key and trying to deal with him. So, I guess from what your perspective, maybe any notes you took or observations you had, um, how big of a factor was Ronnie Harrell in defending Watson today and you know leading to some of his struggles? Four or fourteen from the floor, eight points in thirty minutes. Yeah, I was trying to see. Like I, I remember, I remember one time. In the first half, where Glenn, Rots- where Glenn Watson got to his right hand and drove all the way to the rim for a layup. Okay. I remember one. And that's a strong hand. Right. That's the way he wanted to go, and that was what Creighton <coughs> in the scouting report had talked about over the past couple of days trying to take away. Um, otherwise, I think they forced him into jump shots. I think, that I'm get- I think I'd have to go back and look, but I think three of his four field goals were jumpers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, obviously, he missed – Ten of the shots, mm-hmm. five from three point range. Oh, five from three, yeah. Um, and he's not, at least statistically, not a great three point shooter. He can knock down an open shot, but um, if he's kind of dancing with a ball and and maneuvering and juking and then pulling up, I think you're going to live with that shot if you can get to a hand up. But mm-hmm. um, so yeah, the length bothered him. I think. I think Ronnie Harrell's ability to stay in front of him and not try to do too much. I mean, that was kind of, as I said before, that's kind of Creighton's game plan defensively, like. As as really just do as little as you can. Make them make the play. Mm. Um, your goal is to just stay in front and put your hands up um, so that you can at least make the, the shot when they do shoot um, somewhat challenging. But, you know, we're not going for steals. We're not going for blocks. I think that's what the coaches sort of uh, impress even more so than Creighton's norm. I mean, it's a bend but don't, don't break defense a lot sure. of times for Creighton, but it was even more bend but don't break yeah. um, on Saturday. So, yeah, Ronnie deserves a lot of credit uh, defensively, and then just from an energy standpoint, offensively. Um, kind Same of old story. Yeah, kind of being in control, even when things were going a little haywire for the Jays. Um, he had a big tip in in the first half, I remember, and then obviously second half back-to-back buckets were slipped to the rim on one and went one-on-one with uh, Jack McVeigh on another, mm-hmm. and had a nice post move inside. So, um, yeah, he was big. And uh, and really Creighton, I think, for the most part, did what it wanted to defensively, although they did give up some tough drives to Palmer late, a couple three-pointers late that allowed Nebraska to stay in it mm-hmm. um, in the end when Creighton was trying to put them away. 
Mitch Ballack is probably a guy we can easily highlight as an individual standout today. Um, we could probably lump Martin and Ronnie in together because they had a really productive afternoon. Both had double-doubles. Um, Martin was 4 of 6 from the floor, no turnovers in 25 minutes. No turnovers in 25 minutes is big. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie only had 12, or uh, Ronnie only had two turnovers in 30 minutes. Only two turnovers between those two. And 22 rebounds, 22 points. Yeah, it was a really productive afternoon for those for those guys. But uh, Mitch Ballack, um, I looked it up going back to 1980 because the box scores stopped after that. So forgive me for not having further research done here. But true freshman for Creighton under or versus Nebraska. So obviously, Justin Patton, I'm sorry you're disqualified because you're a red shirt. Um, he had 13.6 rebounds, four assists, two steals. Was five of ten from the floor in today's win. <clears throat> and he's one of five true freshmen to score in double figures in a win over Nebraska. The others are Terrell Taylor, who had an amazing breakout game, 21 points um, back in 99. Ben Walker had 12 and 6. Chad Gallagher, I think Creighton's, what, fourth all-time leading scorer, maybe? 14 and 8. Back when he was a freshman, and then Matt Roggenberg, I hope I'm saying that night. Roggenberg? Roggenberg? Not know. sure. 11 points in a double-digit win. All double-digit wins for those five. But Mitch Ballack joins some elite company there as a true Definitely. freshman with uh, with his 13 point performance tonight. What did you What did you like about the things he did today? Because obviously it was not, you know, he allowed some buckets. He gave up some drives to the rim. He gave up some, you know, some three. I think a couple threes to Antoine Gill coming off of screens um, that are tough to defend. But I mean, still, those that's that's the scouting report. That's got to get over. You, on yeah, you know, he's, he's shooting 50 percent from three. Yeah, that's what he's going to do. That's what he wants to do. Um, I, I mean, I think his contributions offensively were, were huge. Four mm-hmm. assists and obviously the buckets. That he, I mean, he was one of those guys. That it, for a while there, Nebraska had bottled up what Creighton wanted to do uh, with his big men rolling to the rim. And I, I feel like Mitch Ballack was one of the few guys who, um, I don't know. I don't know if it was just like hesitating at the at the when they when they would run those ball screens or just sort of fearlessly throwing up a lob knowing that Martin was going to be the guy that came down with it mm-hmm. but I thought he made a couple of really nice passes in there to um, at least put Nebraska's defense on notice and well, to remind them that they have that they do have that play in their arsenal you know what the funny part is sorry to interrupt here but when we were talking to him after the game and he started he was literally breaking it down physically for us he was like look they you know they're coming they have the hard hedge they're trying to push you off the line um, and kind of make you reset in practice, when Creighton was preparing for Glenn Watson, they stressed over and over and over again, look, you're going to hedge hard on him to you know, push him away from his straight line drive, but he's going to hesitate. He's going to come back at you. Yeah. So you have to be able to, you have to, you have to come off that hedge and reset and still stay in front of him. Positioning was important for keeping him out of the paint and away from the rim. And, I, and when Mitch was breaking that down, it was almost a reverse of what Creighton was trying to do defensively. Nebraska was pushing them off the line. But in the second half, Ballard talked about that hesitation where he's like, okay, they're pushing us off, but they're also recovering. So when they recover, attack. You know what I mean? Like it was like that stop and go mentality. And it seemed like he got a good grasp of that in the second half when he was describing it to us about the adjustments he made about the type of pressure they were putting on them on the perimeter. Yeah, and he, I mean, he had a couple of really nice drives to the rim where I think he maybe benefited from that just – uh, catching a defender flat-footed or mm-hmm. maybe off balance and reading a lane. Hey, I can I can cut through this lane. 
here or dribble through the lane because he had the ball in his hands. But, um, yeah. And then the big jump shots. He had that three right out of the timeout. Three off the, the ATO and then um, the mid-range pull-up. Mid-range, pull, mid-range that was just him feeling himself until yep. the three went down. So, yeah, he had some big shots. The big block on Watson. I mean, anybody who saw it knows that we can't do it justice by talking about it right now. But, I mean, he literally knocked Watson on his backside. Like, he blocked him that hard. <laughs> like, hard Watson, Watson fell hard. I was thought, I was yeah. like, oh, my God, that's, you know, it's like if he touches him, it's a flagrant because of how hard he fell. Um, it was funny how he described that. He, he said, yeah, he was, he's like, I didn't think he was going to, I thought he was just going to throw a layup. Yeah, and then he, like, when he switched to the overhand, he's like, I'm not getting dunked on. Yeah, he's so, like, uh-oh, yeah. I think he's going to dunk on me. I better <laughs> I better rise up. <laughs> yeah, so way to meet the challenge at the rim there, Mitch Ballack. Yeah. Uh He had some shoe problems, too. He come, comes running by... You know, it's like a one-point game in the second half. He's like, dude, my shoes are hurt, killing my feet. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I, what do you want me to do about it? Like, yeah, a career high 31 minutes, is that right? Is that a career high? I don't know. I was just – I'd have to go look at I'd it. I'd be but. surprised. That, yeah, it felt like UCLA played more minutes. Oh, that, did he? But maybe. I don't know. Let's, yeah. let's see if I can – I mean, I he was he, he, he they they got a lot of good in, individual contributions. But I asked, I asked Coach McDermott about this at the end of the, uh, after the game, and I thought, I mean, you can kind of clue me in on what you feel, but it just seemed like the team in general had more composure offensively. They just play the plays that they were running seemed to have a little bit more continuity, um, a little bit more fluidity. Uh, it just seemed it was a, it was a little bit herky jerky when they were trying to run things in the first half for whatever reason. Maybe they were just knocked off balance by Nebraska's aggressiveness, their length, their athleticism. Um, they're uh, just maybe just the game was moving too fast for Creighton. But I just thought they ran plays in the second half and they worked, and they it would seem to happen more often in the second half than than in the first half. And um, guys like Mitch settled in, you know, Marcus Foster. Um, said that he tried to slow himself down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just it just seemed like they had better control um, of how the game was flowing in the half court offensively in the second half. And, you know, it led to some pretty efficient basketball for him, especially down the stretch. Well, they they did go to Kyrie Thomas at the point guard. And obviously, I mean, he his numbers aren't going to jump out of you from a point guard standpoint. You're not going to know that he was the point guard, but the numbers that Tyshawn Alexander and Davion Mintz put up today, you could see that as a different type of game when they had Taz running the show versus when those two... I mean, they were... Obviously, they wanted the tempo to get going. And maybe with Davion and Tyshawn's inexperience at that position still, you can kind of see that that meant one thing, go as fast as you possibly right. can. And But it was to Creighton's detriment in the first half because those guys were literally tripping over everything in sight. Yeah. Um, you know, they both – I think they had four turnovers. In the first half, yeah. Yeah, and four assists. So, I guess one-to-one isn't bad, but for a point guard, that's not good. Um, yeah, all so those, before, I think – But they I'm were all sure. out of control I was going to say all those assists, I think, came in the second half, but I'm not right. positive. But um, but their turnovers were out of control. You thought you agree, right? Like, they, they were just not – they were just plays where they were yeah, just, just forcing careless. It, it right? just went careless, reckless. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't just those two. Marcus Foster, you could right. throw him in the mix at times. Even Which Kyrie, is Mark, even Mark, Kyrie at times, yeah. too, looked like just moving a little bit too fast, trying too hard to force the tempo. But um, in the second half, I just thought as a whole, they um, maybe maybe it helped that they, they got some open jumpers in the fall. Maybe that was part of it. Um, the crowd getting into it, maybe that in, a, in an odd way, even though that – can tend to sometimes 
increase the pressure and the intensity, but it, it kind of was a calming effect for them. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, they just seem to run better offense in the second half. And it's crazy too. We can go back to Ronnie a little bit. When he has the ball in his hands, you almost expect a play to be made. But again, like he has really his his poise this year has been impressive because he's not forcing it as much and you know making stupid plays. I think that's the the knock on him is that he's mistake prone because his the speed at which he plays the game, the energy that he tries to provide every single play kind of works against him at times. Tonight it seemed like he was under control. One of the guys that was under control from, you know, that you can almost circle as under control throughout the entire game yeah. when he was in. Um, so his 30 minutes I felt like were, were very calm, like provided a calming presence almost, which is crazy to say from Ronnie. But um, it's, it's it, in comparison to the struggles that Tyshawn and Davion had, he seemed to be one of the guys that was under control and, you know, kind of didn't let the moment overwhelm him, didn't right. let the, the fact that Nebraska was controlling the pace getting to affect him to the point where he was trying to force things. Um, I thought his performance was well, – it's, it's a little bit beyond the box score, just the way he w- was under control with the ball in his hands and kind of letting the offense – you know, letting guys get through their picks, letting everything happen. And the timing and the spacing is so important in Crazen's offense. I mean, you watch him go through – their walkthroughs and it's like it's crazy how many times Mac or D-Rock will stop a play and go no wait a little half a tick longer you know set that screen wait for it wait for it wait for it like there's so much detail into what they do from mm-hmm. the timing and the spacing perspective that it gets it, it's easy for you to look overlook it but with Davion and Tyshawn just having their foot stuck on the gas there wasn't really any of that you know like you mentioned there wasn't any of that fluidity to it so in the second half, it was definitely a different story. Yep. Good game, though. It was. A finally a good game. It's what you were wanting. Yeah. It's what you wanted, right? That's all I wanted. It's actually, you, you mentioned that from the start that you didn't expect it to kind of unfold like this. Mm-hmm. I sort of did. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. I think my score prediction was like 79-67. Oh, it's much closer. So, I, I actually I got one right, sort of. <laughs> I kind of I kind of felt like it was going to have this, this sort of... Um, I thought Nebraska was going to be able to slow it down. I was surprised that it took until the final minute for Nebraska to show zone, but you know, give them credit because I think what they were doing defensively was working. It's mm-hmm. just that eventually, eventually Creighton settled in, and, and as Tim Miles stated, they started making the plays. But I think Mar- Marcus Foster deserves a lot of credit for that. They ran that play for him to get him, get him the ball in the post, and he delivered there. Um, maybe a little bit wild driving to the rim and – Nebraska's guys co- uh, collapsing on him and blocking a shot or, or at least affecting a shot, but he was One there. of the big buckets in the game was where Roby blocked him and he got it right back and put it back in. Yeah, that's what I was talking yeah, about, that so, play where okay. he, he got it. Oh, oh, yeah, that that play was a little bit earlier, right? It was a couple possessions before okay. the three. So yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. That's the play I was talking about then. Um, yeah, where he drove in the, into the paint and, and got blocked, but put it right back in, and then the three. So um, 10 points in the final four minutes from your leading scorer – Three or four from the field over that stretch. Hit a three. Right. Didn't miss a free throw. That's that's how you win a game. Mm-hmm. So um, Creighton survives, and obviously they'll uh, they'll take that and <laughs> probably try to use this as as an example down the road when they're playing teams like Providence or Seton Hall. Um, maybe even yeah. but, maybe even Butler, where they're going to have to try to ground the game out and 
they're not going to be allowed to run at the pace that they want. So well, the length though is going to be something interesting to worth watching going forward. Most definitely, you know, because you you figure Creighton's going to see length like that again. Mm-hmm. Is it you know better than what Nebraska can do as far as from a game planning standpoint? Because I mean, obviously, you know, these two teams know each other very well, so there's a different part of that. But um, yeah, I thought I was impressed by Nebraska today. I did not think. When you consider how many, you consider Watson fouled out and Roby was in foul trouble, like those are two guys I really think are good basketball players. Definitely, yeah. And I, you know, I wonder maybe. Yeah, because Roby Roby going out meant more minutes for Jack McVeigh, and um, you know he he what he get one three point open three point look. Yeah. If he's not hitting threes, he's not doing a lot else. And right. and Creighton really went after him on the other end of the court. So, um, I mean, it felt like Nebraska. Even though a lot of things went in, it went its way. Like it played the game in the style that it wanted, and it got some of the things that it wanted to. There's still sort of another level that it can reach. So yeah. that should be encouraging for Oscar fans, and actually probably good for Creighton too, because this win maybe it'll look better in a couple months after um, a couple months of Big Ten play if these guys can keep improving because the Big Ten's uh, down and uh, possibly yeah. gives Nebraska an opportunity to rise have up Minnesota and have in the back too. Yeah. So I mean, who knows? So what's up next for the Blue Jays? We got Maryland Eastern Shore on Friday. That should be a barn burner. Oh, um, boy. UT Arlington on the 18th. UC Upstate during finals week. So are No, UT finals Arlington? week is next week. Next week is finals week? Next week's finals week. So, so that, that, Arlington then, right? Uh, Maryland Eastern Shore on Saturday. Arlington on Monday. And then okay. Upstate. So. so, yeah, the Jays should be... I mean, Arlington's going to be a tough one, but... I don't think it's one where you can say it's up in the air. You feel like Greg should be fine. Arlington has played Bama tough, and they played Northern Iowa tough, but Northern Iowa actually won. Both of those games were on the road for Arlington. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they're bringing back a decent amount of players from a year ago when they could have, probably should have made the NCAA tournament. They Uh didn't. Um, And I feel like they played Oklahoma. I know this final score wasn't indicative of it, but they played Oklahoma pretty tough, too, for the majority of that game. I watched that, so... Um, it's a it's a game that you gotta circle and, and yes. be mindful of if you're Creighton, but uh, they sh- they seem to be in good shape to be ten and two at the end of non conference play, which is uh, obviously a really a good game spot. ahead of where I had them. So two games ahead honest. of where I had them. Really? Yep. Look at John, so negative. I Just know. <laughs> we will be all over you for that one, though. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, I mean, yeah, the, the next three, and then going into Seton Hall, which. Which will probably be, I mean, it seems like they're a consensus top three team in the league so far through what we've seen at a non-conference. Villanova, Xavier, Seton Hall seem to be that top three. Yep. Providence, unfortunately, who I thought was in that group. Is not. Is not. No, no. Decisively, decidedly not in that group. So, yeah, that's, but they'll have, what, four of the next, no, five of the next six at home, right? Eastern Shore, Arlington, Upstate, Providence, St. John's. Well, this is game two of the And they five. got Georgetown on the road, so really that's like a win right there. So, I don't know. Undefeated. <laughs> just, zeros. John's, Undefeated. All of, John's all of a sudden going to get on a hot streak here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then they'll disappoint you with losing three of the games. Like, see when I pick you to win. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of home games coming up for Creighton, so they should, you know, if they take care of business, they should, you know, pick up some momentum here. Because, you know, when you go through non-conference play, you know, you're traveling to this place, you're playing that tournament, you're playing this team who's really good. Like, there's not a lot of opportunities to build, like, sustaining momentum. So it feels like this is a stretch where Creighton can kind of 
get some breathing room, get some rhythm going into conference play where it's obviously going to be a grind and we'll see more of these type of games on a nightly basis. Yeah, this was a good – it was a good game for Creighton to have, though, the, the Nebraska game, uh, to have a team like Nebraska with its athleticism and just with its um, – passion and sort of urgency and maybe a little bit of desperation for, from the Huskers because mm-hmm. they clearly wanted to end the streak um, to have that kind of test for a team like Nebraska or for a team like Creighton that um, even though a lot of these guys are now getting experience and a, a few of them have been around the program for a long time but really Toby Hedner, Kyrie Thomas, Marcus Foster are really the only three returning key con- regular contributors and maybe Davion Mintz fits into that group mm-hmm. um, but everyone else is new and so to have these guys tested in this manner is a good thing for the team and, and uh, you know you hope that it'll pay off it'll pay dividends in, in conference play because there's going to be more games like this certainly I mean the, Creighton won a game where they shot 24% from three and lost the turnover battle um, I don't think you have much to complain about from a fan perspective and it's a blue state for one more calendar year, so celebrate it up, and we will talk to you again Friday, Saturday? When Saturday, it? maybe. What was, what one of those days. It says Friday. See, all the schedules are. Okay, maybe it's Friday. I don't maybe, know. No, but it's probably wrong, like, because you probably already uh, saw it from a different angle, from a different source. I'm going to guess it's Friday. We'll talk to you again after Mary Lee's in short. How about that? Sound good, everybody? Uh, for... John Diatawa of the Omaha World Herald. Check out his work at omaha.com. I'm Matt D. Marinas from White and Blue Review. Uh, Have a good weekend.